back. We're doing it again. Doing it again. Welcome back to Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. My name is Nathan. My name's David. And we will be taking you uh, very quickly here on the tour de force that has been George Jackson's blood in my eye. Uh, yeah. And normally we say like, but before we do that, we're going to do current events, but we're not. Because this is just a week where we are doing back-to-back readings, which means there are no new current events that we need to discuss. Uh, So as a result, we will be just plowing ahead as per usual. Uh, That being said, this week's episode brought to you by Soju, Nathan's uh, intoxicant of choice tonight. The number one spirit. It says so right on the bottle. They can't lie in marketing, gang. They're not allowed to. That's how it works. (laughs) Turns out if you just water down vodka a little bit, gets the job done. Uh, that that being said, uh, we will be starting this week's reading on page 50. Nice round numbers as we like to leave off on, uh, beginning of page 50. Uh, and we start with the prestige of power as a subjective effect of a past deed or reputation, real or fancied, then has a very definite life process. The prestige of the capitalist class inside the U S reached its maturity with the close of the 1860 to 64 civil war. Since that time, there has been no serious threats to their power. Their excuses have been taken on a certain legitimacy through long usage. Excesses. I know we normally don't. We breeze past when we oh, misread. Oh, excesses, that yes. One. Ha-ha. Words that, have That's me- a definition changer. Words yeah. have meaning. <laughs> uh, prestige bars any serious attack on power. Do people attack a thing they consider with awe, with a sense of its legitimacy? In the process of things, the prestige... I don't know about that. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I might like live out a drill tweet and be like, "Fuck you, son." <laughs> <laughs> the, the something, something. I walk backwards into hell. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I, I walk backwards. Yeah. God, what is that? Like, I walk backwards into God. I something can't even about think yelling at animals tweet. at the zoo. I think I don't. I don't. I'm not a drill expert, guys. Uh, oh God, damn it! Uh, That's the phrase. Face God as I walk backwards into, into, hell. into hell. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but that is that is interesting. Prestige, I, I, I really, and again, I don't want to derail us too quick off the top, but we're not no, no, doing no. current events, so we have time to do this. Uh, prestige bars any serious attack on power. Do people attack a thing they consider with awe, with a sense of its legitimacy? Um, how, David, how does that strike you? Because to me, that I, I think people, oh, that when you say that awe, is that me. assuming a certain, is that assuming a certain legitimacy, assuming that it actually is it, just it, it 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 is um, again. You know whether when you get the sense of awe here, right? It's not like my jaw dropped and I can't move, but it's like it's a level of intimidation almost, right? Mm-hmm. This is what he's talking about here. So you know, people don't attack, say, cops, right? In various beliefs in the legitimacy, most people because they see them as legitimate, right? Mm-hmm. But but. Also, the legitimacy of the power leaves people, you know, when it's talking about all, like if a, if a cop does something and it's not explicitly illegal, you don't feel like you can battle it, right? The whole prison industrial complex seems too daunting. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes right. sense. I just, I think, yeah. I think back to and, other, and, I think back to other revolutionary movements um, and try and kind of contextualize that statement within that. And I, I guess, I well, guess, yeah, what? What's what's the one we always go back to, right? The Russian Revolution, Revolution. because it's the it's the the, it's it's everyone's favorite. Right, right. The Russian Revolution was that Russian Revolution ever going to happen? It seemed like in like nineteen oh three, like Lenin was writing what is to be done, but things were looking pretty bleak. And And then then I guess you could say that the weakness, some losses. 
yeah, the losses to Japan, the the um oh, I suddenly forgot the name of the 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 march across the the frozen river um in 1905. Yeah, that uh, we the, all know that. The march across the frozen river in 1905. The, the the priests led the march of the people and and they shot the protesters. Why am I forgetting this name? God damn it. This is a major event in world history. Um uh, Mhm. Uh, Not according to okay, Google. Anyway. Okay, so David Brain, just whatever, right? Um, <laughs> doing so good these last couple of weeks. Yeah, we're, we're um, killing it. But but again, you know, I mean, when there was this belief that, like, God anointed the czar, you had terrible, terrible infrastructure and terrible living standards that you would see now and you'd be like, oh, no, you know, with the exception of being colonized and being subjected from an outside power, which people are in awe of, it's too powerful, too far away, whatever, right? Nobody would stand up for that level of oppression now, that level of autocracy. You know, there's so many lies and so much that goes into... You know, the, the idea and the prestige of U.S. democracy and the, you have to vote. That, that's another thing, right? People are in awe of how human power works and the U.S. government. And so what do most people see as the pathway to power? Voting. Oh, we got to vote better. Yeah. And that's where you and, see this lionization. And, that's and where you, you see this canonization of voting as some sort of like mm-hmm. essential human dignity that somehow is more more pure and better than any other form of rule or any other thing like that. And it... it yeah, and beyond yeah, that, I mean, in the it, but it completely, I guess, I and I'm not, I'm not downing on democratic, you know, the, the concept of democracy. What I'm, what I'm trying to get to here is no contract democracy is great. Let's face it, white people ripped it off explicitly the Iroquois Confederacy, but also the Machika. Uh, most people casually know that as Aztec, but more properly the Machika. Um, you know, again, famously. That's that's one of the best ways to debunk this whole, you know, yeah. oh, bloody human sacrifice monsters thing is Cortez abused political strains in the Machica Empire because it was incredibly democratic. The I think it was the article's Confederation, um, was it, where they cited explicitly the Iroquois Confederacy? It might have been the, the um, um, Declaration of Independence itself. But I think it was the article's I Confederation. I believe it was the article's Confederation, that. yeah. Yeah, and then, of course, you know, I mean, all the other democracy power comes out of that. So, again, we very much believe in democracy. Socialists, we believe everything should be democratic, right? I mean, that's the idea, you know. Correct. Um, the workers should control the power. They, sh- they should demo- uh, democratically, you know, run the means of production rather than for the profit of one person. So, we believe very much in democracy. But when We're you talking remove about- democracy, when you take that democracy and you put it in the context of the American hegemonic state, mm-hmm. that's where yes. they, they've got this double trick that they've done where they've convinced you that voting is somehow a panacea to all other ills and it, it's just yes. not when the system is set up in the way that it is well and then again within there you're going to run into arguing with yourself and arguing in circles right because you're going to oh voting 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 that's the path to power but then oh well it's electability you've got to win mm-hmm. right what this means nothing if you've got to win and so now there's a legitimacy to winning elections yeah you know um, and that's why they've always got to say that, that other leaders stole elections, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you, you, this, this whole thing operates on legitimacy because it operates on people not realizing their power and not realizing that they should act when people aren't following their will. Mm-hmm. And again, that goes back 
back in autocracies from religious appeal. And then, you know, when people broadly in the, the state believe in that religion and you have uh, 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 a uh, theocracy monarchy, holy theocracy. Thank you. Holy crap. Bam! Uh, a theocracy. There you go. A theocracy, right? Now you're challenging the whole religious faith. You're challenging people's internal beliefs and, and they can't handle or you're challenging God and, and you can't handle that, right? Oh, fuck Here, that shit. I'll attack and dethrone God all day. Let's go. Right here, here you're you're you know you're you're attacking the Constitution and the founding fathers and the freedom we love and that's all this prestige, right? This is this is the great gift of freedom that's that's brought. It's been a beacon and shining light in the world. And even when you get past that explicit white supremacist colonial language, that is still seated in people's heads, right? They're at least they're at least agreeing with some chunk of that, which is how you know all these lies about other places and other cultures get away with it and how people are left dormant and funneled into voting and worried about electability and, and things like that rather than what is needed and how to seize what is needed and how a lot of people have power, right? Yeah. Um, and have power expressed in ways that are not just voting and are not just over, you know, peaceful protests, fetishizing peaceful protests, right? Mm-hmm. Again, there's another thing too. That that's why people, you know, that nonviolence is even MLK was not like a pacifist. You know, nonviolence was a strategy, yeah. right? And nonviolence is effective as a strategy because then there's a prestige. People are in awe that people would come together and risk everything and just take it on the chin for these beliefs. Well, and I, but obviously, and I believe, I believe we, and we know it because it's been said in this book. the The nonviolent acts of Martin Luther King would not have been effective without the active military underground yeah. act, without the the militancy that was also being done hand in hand with it. Yeah, yeah, and and MLK, you know, I mean, he fell into that like socialist but not communist category, which can really defang your your revolutionary spirit. But MLK obviously was a revolutionary. And very much believed himself that, you know, those things and his nonviolence, those were all things that worked in, in coalition, right? And, and he believed very much that leading a nonviolent movement would be the best path forward. And whether that's true or not, it was what stood out at the time when everything was working in unison. All right. Well, back into the reading. In the process of things, the prestige of power emerges roughly in that period when power does not have to exercise its underlying basis, violence. Having proved and established itself, it drifts secure from any serious challenges. Its automatic defense attacked instincts remain alert. Small threats are either ignored away, laughed away, or in the cases that may build into something dangerous, slapped away. To the masters of capital, the most dreadful omen of all is revolutionary scientific socialism. The gravedigger evokes fear response. Prestige wanes if the first attacks on its power base find it wanting. Prestige dies when it cannot prevent further attacks upon itself. All intellectual arguments against the necessity of counterviolence, even in the opening stages of a people's war against an industrial establishment such as the one in the USA, are false. Uh, see, I love that. We can stop the debate. Prestige must be destroyed. I just love it. Just fuck it. We're not talking about yeah. it. We're not arguing. Uh, <laughs> people must see the venerated institutions and the omnipo- omnipotent administrator actually under physical attack. They must be assured that the heavens will not hurl lightning bolts at the people's heads for challenging the rights of property. 
Then, although international capitalism has shot its last bolts, it is not exactly harmless. If the threat to power is truly revolutionary, and the first step into revolutionary consciousness taken with a forceful attack upon prestige, we must anticipate reaction, accept repression's terror, and meet it with counter-terror of our own. The gravedigger needs a bodyguard to protect him at this work, else the grave may be his own. The debate between... Yeah, yeah. So, so first off, again, you know, this is where it's a political project. It's not adventurism. If you just go out and try to do it yourself, you're must, much less likely to be successful. You're much less likely to get your message across. If you are successful, you must much less likely to survive. And again, we need to be willing to die for the revolution, but we should want to live for it. You know, we're fighting to live. Um, but something that, that comes to mind, too, a little bit with this that I kind of... I, I kind of got off track when we were talking about the, the, the MLK stuff because I thought that working on prestige was a good example, but was probably a better example. Is you run into this when we talk about prison abolition, right? Mm-hmm. The the it'll never happen stuff, and the more importantly, the well, what do you do? You know, what do you do if there's if if, if there's there are rapists? What do you do if crime goes up? What do you do if this and that? You know, there's always this this legitimacy, like oh, if cops go away, crime will go up, right? Yeah. Well, that, that, you know, that's claiming they're, they're legitimate and that crime is a bad thing and what they do is a necessary part of reality. There's this prestige. And that's what stops a lot of the challenges to this, right? Oh, cops are out there killing people. They harass people all day. They have bloated budgets that should go into better things. Because of the bloated budgets and the fact that we leave them in better things, they suddenly become the solution to everything that really shouldn't be their problem, right? A car accident and writing a report and making sure traffic is blocked off so that people don't run into it. Sometimes it's partly done by the fire department because any emergency vehicle could could handle that, but also should probably be handled by like the Department of Transportation or something, and we handle it all with cops. A kid goes missing. That should be a community effort to find that kid um, and using all of the resources we have. Though that just falls onto cops. Just put it in record and, and, and have it, right? Um, you know, it, when, when in doubt, right, it's the whole like, you know, when you have a hammer, everything's a nail, and America's hammer hammer is cops mm-hmm. that's that's what it is and so all of a sudden you go okay well they're doing all these things they shouldn't be doing someone else should do it they're overfunded da, da, da. and the argument you immediately get is well, wouldn't crime go up what what are you gonna you can't live without cops what are you gonna do with no cops and and if you don't stroke their egos maybe they won't protect like they're fucking protecting us now maybe they won't protect you as well and so there's this there's this prestige there's this legitimacy that that you know everything will crumble down and and all of society will will be destroyed if we don't keep capitalism going protected by cops specifically and that that's something you run into all the time and it's it's bullshit you know so don't don't fall for it you know kill the prestige right i mean he's talked about it plenty throughout this book you know pigs bleed Mm mm-hmm Yeah. The debate between the vanguard elements should end. The argument that the prestige of power will itself will let itself to be educated away is too idiotic to be allowed to stand. I I fucking love I fucking love that. Uh, Waiting for power to move to its inevitable collapse is suicidal for for all concerned, uh, especially in the wake of climate disaster uh, and everything going on there. Those words ring truer and truer every day. Uh, Yeah. um, Okay. So another tangent. No current events. I'm going to use all the tangents. Another tangent. (laughs) 
I swear I'm not trying to abuse this. This is just important things. <laughs> David knows he has half an hour roughly baked in to go on tangents, and he's going to use every goddamn just, minute. Oh, my God. Every sentence we're fucked. Um, so anyway, um, we talk about climate change, right? And something something I've said, there's a lot of ideas I present where in context, they're important for us as revolutionaries. But stripped of context and out in the public sphere, they could be very, very dangerous or misused, or maybe I didn't even word them perfectly and they can go badly. And one thing I, I push out a lot, right, is this, I don't like the, the climate deadline because it's nihilistic. And that is true. That's important. We should understand that as revolutionaries, right? But something you do see out there is the climate change denialist. There's still, of course, an enormous amount of people that just deny climate change, right? Um, there's another piece of awe. We can't... <laughs> people are just in awe of prestige. So, like, oh, the people in charge will solve the climate change problem. Sure, they caused it, and they're not doing anything now, but they'll they'll eventually act, and we've got to appeal to them and, and blah, 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 right? We can't, like, say, no, you guys are fucking killing us. We can't take this anymore. Get out of the way. We've got to keep the system, everything. But I talk about, you know... There's there's no deadline, right? The, the, it's a deadline of scale. The farther you go down it, whether it's tomorrow or 10 years, no matter where that deadline point is, it's going to be an exponentially harder value, battle to build back and reverse climate change, man-made climate change, the farther we go down that path. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there should be a fire on our ass. Every moment counts. But also, don't throw away the revolution because it's not going to happen tomorrow or something like that, right? There's another message with it of like, we'll be fine, we'll be fine, we can always reverse it that like Big Oil puts out there. And what they mean, and we've talked about this a little with Biden too and his language on, um, uh, you know, climate change is a national security issue, right? He says it and then he points to 2050. That would be when climate change is already deeply in effect, there'll be food shortages, water shortages, and there'll be an immense amount of migrants you know, again, they'll be desperate. They'll be flooding towards the places in the world that are survivable mm-hmm. and fighting for their lives and, and deal with repression. And the U.S. wants to build a military state. It's why, you know, Obama was the deporter in chief and Biden has taken that back up in spite of Trump's rhetoric. You know, the, the Dems are no more accepting of immigrants, especially from the global south, than the Republicans because they see it as a national security issue. Um because it's a national security issue from the ramifications of climate change and U.S. imperialism. The Dems fucking love that, right? Um, and so, you know, they'll always find a solution, right? We're like, oh, well, we're, you know, we've got to appeal to them. Human extinction faces everyone. But they're just looking at it going, yeah, but we could fund space programs to colonize Mars and then just use that technology here. We can secure ourselves and militarize the borders. We've got plans. We've got this covered up. You know, <laughs> they start running out of oil or getting any pushback on pipelines. You know, we could we could frack. Um, they start being told that that you know they they need to be carbon neutral by by you know twenty something right, and they come up with something called carbon capture, which emits as much greenhouse gas as oil and it's it's 
you know, a total load of bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. And then they put out commercials about how they're pouring money into studying and greening the earth. They always have a trick up their sleeve. They're not just going to go, oh, I'm back into a corner and I've been defeated by logic or I, I've been appealed to as, in, for my humanity. No, they act this way. This is, this is going back to Mark's capital, right? They could be the best people in the world, but they're f- almost forced to act this way because it's in their self-interest and the system forces that self-interest because the other side of that is a buzzsaw that flings them down into the class where you are, which is obviously oppressed, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't have something to say. And so they're protecting themselves. And of course, because they've been comfortable in that class, a lot of them are just shitheads on top of it. They're not going to just turn around and be nice. The system won't allow that if they wanted to be, and they don't want to be. Exactly. And and again, even if they wanted to be, the system will deny them. It, it is. Yeah. It is. It is a anyone who wants to be will be like they're the bait that gets cut, right? They're the fat that gets trimmed. Exactly. Uh, the debate between the vanguard element should end. The argument that the prestige of power will let itself to be educated away is too idiotic to be allowed to stand. We got there. Waiting for power to move to its inevitable collapse is suicidal for all concerned. We're doing it again. Blacks and other third world peoples have the very imminent prospect of genocidal tactics to contend with. And we can now all see that the modern industrial state, motivated by the interests of exclusive groups of capitalist masters, cannot regulate itself to make possible an inclusive production and distribution of goods or production without a massive waste of resources and destruction for all that stands about. The debate ends, the action begins. It is not a question of the necessity of violence, but how to organize it to fit our unique situation, to tie it with flawless exactitude to our political activity, and to organize it immediately. Again, this is all before people... I mean, the oil execs knew you know, about climate change since like in the 50s, but the everyday person did not. Until like the 90s, even the scandalous things that Exxon knew in the 80s, right? Um, so this is before that. And, and every bit of this rings true with the entire context of climate change out of it. And of course, that is word for word a good description of how climate change is slamming upon us. Yep. Uh, this is a letter from Jonathan. Comrade George. I read recently from a textbook edited by my favorite raw writer, W. Pomroy, that's W.J. Forrest Pomroy, author of Guerrilla Warfare and Marxism, that a city street could actually be considered as a defile. A convoy of any kind trapped in a defile on the countryside is easy prey for the forces positioned above and about it. Jonathan, once again, tactics. Uh, It is absolutely certain that every fascist military thinker and official in the world has devoted time and study to the works of the great guerrilla tacticians. Mao, Ho, Giap, Guevara, Pomroy, Fanon, and Nkrumah. Pretty proud that we've got a couple of those guys on the list of people we've read, and I'm sure we'll get to more <laughs> as we go. Yeah. Uh, we got to get some Uncle Ho in here. We've Even if it's just a short one, we got to get some Uncle Ho in here. Uh, we, we really do. The fundamentals of people's war are, not, are no secret. It would seem that Giap, am I getting that right? I know I should know this name. Yeah, I, I've only ever heard it pronounced quickly as, as like Jap. Okay, Jap. Yeah. Jap's People's Army, People's War, or Guevara's Guerrilla Warfare, and the other masterworks on Poor People's War, once published for the world to study, would blunt their effectiveness at least a little. That is, until one has studied in depth and understood. Guerrilla Warfare, by its very nature, is invulnerable. And again, this has been proven out time and time again. 
Uh, I, I'm sure that every military leader had studied the Vietnam War as the great debacle for America. I, I put that in air quotes, you know, uh, you know, the the all power to the the Vietnamese Revolution. Um, but it, it that wasn't new, and yet we went back into a situation like that when we when we re-entered the Middle East and got our asses handed to us again by a much less well-funded, mm-hmm. much much more desperate, and much more. Um, uh, at home group of guerrilla fighters. It is a tactic that is time honored for a reason. It fucking works. Mm-hmm. Guerrilla warfare by its very nature is, nature is invulnerable. Advanced scientific guerrilla strategy worked out over the first three quarters of this century is not, contrary to the popular image, merely a hit and run haphazard affair. In spite of the need for improvisation and mobility, and in spite of its poverty and daring, it is scientific. The man who labored over its construction had a ta- as a task the forging of an instrument which would enable an in- indigent and weaponless people to resist and overcome a ponderous mechanized army dependent upon an industrial base and operating on systemat- systematized thought. It is a perfect tool. Perfect. No establishment army can countervail it. The best example of this new fighting style, the urban guerrilla, is the spectacular success of the Tuparos or Tupamaros, the military arm of Uruguay's National Liberation Movement. I know shockingly little about Uruguay's National (laughs) Liberation Movement. Brilliantly organized, they have carried out well-planned operations such as burning down plants, General Motors, without harming a single worker, robbing impregnable fortresses such as the Casino of Punta del Este, kidnapping hated officials, ambassadors, and bankers, seizing whole towns long enough to explain their purpose and revolutionary commitment, assassinating key repressive agents, such as the chief of the police's special squad, sabotaging imperialism's industrial and military complexes, and raiding police military outposts to capture arms and ammunition. This is from Jurassic again, who he cited numerous times. Uh, Jurassic outlines their fighting strategy as follows. The objective is manifold. One, to threaten the establishment, cause it to panic and make serious tactical mistakes, such as resorting to mass repression, which radicalizes the population against them. To establish the underground revolutionary apparatus, including both active participants and trusted but passive collaborators, who will later carry out the liaison communication, logistic, and propaganda needs of the revolutionary armies in the cities. Three, to test new recruits and relative security. Four, though political infiltrator, police infiltrators are bound to creep in and stay in the organization for future need, even if they have to kill their own to do so, the fact that for a long time, urban groups will operate independently of each other keeps sweeping arrests of urban guerrillas down to a minimum. Four, to demoralize the rank and file and even the officers of the repressive forces as they see themselves constantly but unexpectedly under attack. It is said that to kill policemen indiscriminately is to forget the working class background of the cop on the beat. This is as absurd as trying to save the ordinary soldiers who the Vietnamese must kill to survive. I've never heard that particular pushback. I guess I may I I may live in that liberal echo that uh, liberal. <laughs> I may live in that <laughs> hyper communist echo chamber, uh, but I've I've not heard many people push back on fighting back against cops because of working class cops. I feel like this that motif has there, changed over time. Um, I yeah, I still think that's definitely a thing because you see that a lot in a lot of. Um, um, I can't think of the word of class essentialists, ignore the other issues. Uh, class reductionists. reductionists. Yeah, you see that in class reductionists and, and soak Dems, right? The idea that like a police union is a union, is a working class movement. Um, 
Yeah. And that's, it's a thing. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily as much of a thing now in this current wave of, of people, you know, learning and radicalizing and, and things like that. But it's, it's definitely a thing. And it was pretty prominent, pretty, you know, pretty heavily in like 2017, um, you know, when, when people were still in that big Bernie wave. 2017 when they were on the big Bernie wave? Oh, David. Oh, you, you sweet summer child. That wave has not stopped, my friend. They're still there. Um, I guess I've maybe sanitized a lot of the, the, the Bernie Kratz out of I was about to say, we've just purged circles. them out of our timeline so that we don't know they're there anymore. Uh, but I still muck about in the depths and I see it. No, it, again, it, this is all, everyone is at different levels of radicalization. Everyone's going to come to this in their own time, in their own way, in their own unique way. Um, and I never want to disparage anyone that is not all the way along the path quite yet. Because again, I was there. So what fucking right do I have to, to critique anyone in that sense? Um, I always, I always love the conversations when you get someone to the point where they know you're right and they know you're telling them important stuff. But it's still pretty grounding for them, and they're like, "But I, I know you're right, but it's it's scary to think that John Oliver's an asshole." And yeah. it's like, "Well, you just got to come along with it." But that like, takes you'll get there. But that takes time again. Yeah. The time honored story that doesn't get told enough. I got radicalized <laughs> because you just kept retweeting DPRK is good, and eventually that worked. <laughs> I wish well, it was, was more of- complicated than that, but that's what fucking radicalized me. If David didn't just sit there and nonstop retweet DPRK good slash Syria, uh, nuanced Syria takes, I wouldn't have probably gotten here. Or at least it would have taken me a whole hell of a lot longer. So again, you never know what's going to get people over. You never know what stage people are at. This is back to the meeting them where they are and then just bringing the information relentlessly and consistently and correctly all the time. Yeah. You know what's funny is is what I was alluding to with the the coworker and the, the I know John Oliver was bad as a a coworker that that listens to me because I kept pointing out that all the the Xinjiang uh, concentration camp narrative stuff is is bullshit and inconsistent and nonsense and that kind of showed through so I guess that's just my strategy right just just scream the lies from the mountaintops that they're lies yeah exactly uh. I worded that poorly. I'm not screaming lies from the mountaintops. I'm screaming that stuff is lies from exactly. the mountaintops. Five, to panic local capitalists to withdraw their funds from specific areas, thus hurting the local warlords and politicians who profit from these investments. Six, to frighten away foreign investors, which will affect the whole bureaucratic oligarchy. Seven, to force the U.S. to constantly extend its intervention, which will tax its resources, hence discontent at home, and spread its imperialistic arms, rendering it more vulnerable abroad. I, I think number six is a big one. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about revolution, right? And, and revolution is about displacing power so you can replace power, right? And if that power is in what was talked about before, prestige, if that power is in money and resources, and all of a sudden you've got a bourgeoisie who maintaining their power over you suddenly isn't a good investment and they've got to figure out well, obviously, losing their power isn't a good investment, so how do they try to defend it? And you leave them vulnerable and confused and show the disorganization and this laissez-faire system, you know, that this whole alignment of their interests um, that they depend on. Uh, you start putting cracks in that. You can, you can, you know, move mountains sometimes with that. 
Exactly. At this point, I must make clear that I am certainly not warning the military establishment or the capitalist masters, nor am I advocating the overthrow of the established American government. When I use the initials USA in these observations, it must be understood that I could quite be easily referring to the Union of South Africa. The government of the USA and all that it stands for, all that it represents, must be destroyed. This is starting the point at the end. We have the means to this end. The problem is to develop the acceptance of their use. I'm not going to go into how sarcastic or not sarcastic that paragraph may or may not be. Just saying I agree with George Jackson, whatever he had said there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, The first struggle is one waged within our own minds. We must in all haste transcend the intellectual inhibitions that preclude support of the least minimum level of violence that must develop concomitant concomitantly with each political thrust. Our attitudes must change before we can expect any response from the people, workers, students, lump and proletariat. We must accept the eventuality of bringing the USA to its knees, accept the closing off of critical sections of a city with barbed wire, armored pick carriers crisscrossing the city streets, soldiers everywhere, tommy guns pointed at stomach level, smoke curling black against the daylight sky, the smell of cordite, house-to-house searches, doors being kicked down, the commonness of death. Then we must learn the forms of resistance, the booby trap, the silenced pistol and rifle, the pitting of streets to slow them down, the wreckage of heavy equipment to block their efficient movement, false walls, hidden sub-basement, tunnels, Vietnamese-style, destruction of the critical elements of the facilities that support established order. We must learn the value of infiltration. It works better for us than it does for the opposition. And we see how important infiltration is for the opposition. Mm-hmm. We simply stop allowing ourselves to be hunted and do some stalking of our own. Their secret police aren't really too secret at all. Right now we can go numbering, naming, compiling information on them all. They're too visible to be safe. Revolution is aggressive. Just where are we? Where is the country skidding to? In the morning, the flight will have begun. In considering all of the establishment's protective agencies, even those that are quasi-secret, none can hide themselves. Any establishment institution or organization that enjoys prestige, that exists openly above ground, is by this definition weak, or at least vulnerable to a determined attack. When the purpose of your military tactics is to build and guard some object or point of supposed advantage, the defender can actually be thought of as being under siege, the guard himself a standing target, the fortress and all its resources, mechanized and human, for all its imposing strength, cannot exist for long under persistent attack deprived of the opportunity to replenish, repair, and renew itself. If the opposing military forces that we have laid the siege are nameless, faceless, numberless, indistinguishable from all the millions that exist about the establishment, when the establishment's military forces sally forth from their beleaguered fortress to do battle, what must be the result? They must cause suffering to the innocent, since it is impossible for them to know us, thus making new enemies. They will restrict the freedom of our known or suspected political parties and projects that are welded to the people, thus restricting the freedom of others who may have been neutral or sympathetic to them. They will make themselves targets for a hidden machine gun, sniper rifle, silence pistol, mortar, anti-tank rocket, and flamethrower. Again, they work on prestige. When they work on prestige, they have to be in your face. They have to be intimidating, right? And they have to to uh, work on a level of public trust. 
So if you destroy that trust and you go, oh, you're standing right in front of me, right? There, there's that's a, a concept in in like say you know martial arts sparring, right? If someone stands front facing. Uh, rather than, you know, shoulder first in, in some kind of sparring stance, right? There's a bunch of more target to hit. That's free lunch, right? So if you, if you live on making yourself big, you live on making yourself just a big old target for free lunch. Um, yeah, more, ca- no, 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 no. I, I appreciate what you tried to do there, which is you got to the end yeah. of a paragraph and then you said a thing and then you're like, all right, we'll move on. No, no, no. This is flamethrower number four, people. Flamethrower number four. The main character of George Jackson's Blood in My Eye is the flamethrower. Is is Jonathan's... Hey, Jonathan's hey, now, fucking flamethrower. Jonathan Jonathan's Jackson is a goddamn hero and a revolutionary, and I will not besmirch his name. Flamethrowers are probably not the thing. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I, I may be wrong. Hey, really? Maybe I'm underestimating the power of a flamethrower. But ever since Elon Musk tried selling them and making them seem like a cool, nifty <laughs> thing, I just don't feel like they're a proletarian weapon anymore. That's that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. You have, you've got you've taken the flamethrower the direction I've taken the guillotine. Exactly. It is exactly. We got we need to we can move past the flamethrower. We move on to okay. the we have moved we've moved past the for flamethrower. We now have the the Havana syndrome bi- psionic weapons that we can move That's on to. That's right. And we will utilize right. those in the coming revolution to give every CIA agent a hangover. Could you imagine like the the secret guerrilla tactic of just dropping crickets around the White House and seeing what the hell happened? <laughs> Oh, shit. Our counterterrorism will bring a t- stage two fascist repression. Not stage one, guys. Stage two fascist repression. We're notching it up a notch. We're going to condition plaid. There is no question in our minds, blacks, men under the hatch, men under hatches, about the nature of the ruling class. The exceedingly violent disposition of the USA ruling class is well documented with just a glance into our lives and the order of our deaths. The point is to reveal this senseless violence to the entire revolutionary class or classes. That is such a huge thing right there. Um, uh, the, the exceedingly violent disposition of the U.S. ruling class is well documented with just a glance into our lives and the order of our deaths. The, mm-hmm. the black man in America understands this shit intrinsically because mm-hmm. they live it. The point is to reveal this senseless violence, quote unquote, which is what he his quotations, not mine, to the entire revolutionary class or classes. You have to open people's eyes to this. You have to like clockwork orange style, peel them back and make them see or they're not going to get it because there are just certain groups of people that don't don't experience systemic violence like this and therefore will not understand it intrinsically. Well, I mean, we we talk about this all the time with, you know, imperialism, right? People don't have the understanding with how brutal and violent and destructive, you know, the U.S. military and U.S. imperialism is because they don't see it from that end, right? They, they see it as these are the heroes you clap for at a sporting event and, and the kids all do a project at school to, to, to clap for whatever the fuck, right? They don't see them as, as the people that are, like, destroying hospitals. Exactly. Um, and, you know, that's also kind of a, one of the, the many, many, many reasons 
uh, for segregation, even de facto segregation, right? There's, there's other reasons, you know, um, uh, environmental racism, uh, just having them somewhere where a lot of cops can patrol and control them and colonize them, uh, but also just separating that ugly face of, of empire away from them the same way it's separated in other countries. Yeah. Right. And, and so this is about, this is about taking the people that are in those areas where they should see it firsthand and making sure they do, making sure it's, 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 you know, the smoke is cleared, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, maybe they understand the violence, but make it clear the state is where it's coming from yeah. and what the state is. The state is not just a big bad, like word state in all states bad. The state is doing the bidding of the bourgeoisie. The bourgeoisie is where it is. And the bourgeoisie is not just the billionaires, right? It's the small business owners. It's the cops. It's all of them together. Um, it's the judges, all that shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, this ties back a little bit to to what I was saying with MLK nonviolence as a strategy, and it's advocating the function of violence to hit those same ends as well as the guerrilla warfare ends, which is is again, it, it, he just saw the entire civil rights movement when he was writing this. He had just seen it, right? It had happened over what the five years leading up to this book. Exactly. Um, oh my god. Yeah, uh, or I guess more like 10 years, but the, right before this book was written, he had seen it. So he understands that stuff. Yep. And so, you know, he's tying this all together. He's like, well, the benefits of these other strategies come baked into this strategy. And then you have the, the gorilla, the gorilla advantages, you know. Exactly. Counterterrorism is a mighty tool and the only one at our disposal in the opening stages of people's war. In some cases, in other revolutionary societies, this level of violence alone was sufficient to win all the demands of the people. However, I'm sure that it will not be sufficient because of the complexities of the USA. Mm, yeah, that's that's yeah. a very prescient observation. Uh, mm-hmm. Class structure and its stockpile of potential further violence. Many of the small demands of a sizable portion of the population are slowly being met at the expense of all the rest of us and the world's people. Holy shit, has that group of small demands of a sizable portion of the population, yeah, that that's growing day in, day out. Yeah. yeah. A new pig-oriented class has been created at the bottom of our society, from which the ruling class will always be able to draw some support. Everybody with a Punisher sticker on their charger! <laughs> Consequently, our task will be to move from counter-terrorist tactics into the second stage of larger guerrilla unit operation. Over nine now there oh, yeah. there's another thing you know you talk about the the, the Punisher stickers the the Trump the the big old trucks right um, you get these guys that like fancy themselves as you know off duty cop vigilante heroes or like cops and and they're you know they're just gonna to, to you know barge in and 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 push everybody down and get their way and defeat the dirty leftists and stuff and sometimes prestigious legitimacy in your own ideas and. You show, like, no, like, you idiots can die, too. All of a sudden, there's a little fear there. They're a little shaken. There's a little less gusto. And that's pretty powerful, right? Right now, they they see – you definitely see a lot more people with, say, a Trump flag on their car, even proportional to the number of people that, that love Trump. Um, compared to like someone with a hammer and sickle, they're socialist, right? Because one of those is seen as, as basically a target on your back from a violent force. 
also what happens if they're both a target on their back. All of a sudden, you're not terrifyingly surrounded by Confederate flags everywhere. Mm-hmm. Over 90% of the U.S. population live in cities and towns. Okay. Um, hold on. Just I'm not... Brief, I'm not brief sure detour. That's... Where else could they live? <laughs> I, I'm not sure what the definition of towns is. George? I think, well, I mean, again... People can live in, in rural areas, but like, what what is the cutoff of cities and towns? Is he, I guess he's including the suburbs. I guess. I, I, I don't know. So where do we fall is my question. Where am I? Are we in the 10%, we, David? I, I don't know. We live sub-rural. I would definitely call where we live a town. I call um, it a town. I don't know what else to call yeah. it. What, do I live in a hamlet? Yeah, I think the and towns is, is pretty distinct there. There's cities, there's towns, and there's rural, in my opinion. Yeah. And, of course, most people are going to live in cities. They're very, very dense. But, yeah, that's, I don't I that's, love everything George is putting George, out there. That, we that, love is, you. that is a bit of a weird one. Over 90% of the USA population lives in cities and towns. And although some of the principles of classic Mao Shea-style guerrilla operations must be used to stop the orderly flow of intercity and interstate commerce, most of the real fighting must take place inside the nerve centers of the nation, the cities. This is an entirely new situation in the development of people's war. Whereas the classic types of the third world movements generally relied upon the strangling of the provincial capitals where the enemy colonial power tended to concentrate itself in urban guerrilla warfare where the colonies can be said to be situated within the city, the process or tactics will be unique. And again, that's that's important, right? We've talked about he's citing Che and Che obviously, you know, eventually was caught and executed and you don't see another series of guerrilla warfares throughout, you know, the Americas following that tactic. Um, it's not necessarily that he failed. It's that it was suitable for Cuba's revolution. It was probably suitable, not necessarily carried out, um, you know, across the rest of, of South America. But at some point in development and in structure, it's not forever suitable. That doesn't mean guerrilla warfare generally isn't. It just means it's got to evolve for the setting. Exactly. Though the basic strategy is the same, urban guerrilla warfare differs from all that has ever taken place in in the arena of guerrilla against the god state. There are similarities between our situation and that of the growing movement of the Uruguayan people. Again, Gotta fucking go do some Googling on Uruguay, because apparently they knew what was going on. And perhaps we can draw from their experience. But to be realistic, the disparity in size and population, the relative strength of the enemy state institutions, and their global sweep must be seriously taken into account. Uruguay is a colony of Anglo-America. Defeat of the Uruguayan government and a change in the present property relations would would of necessity mean the defeat of a section of the American imperialist infrastructure. The comparison between ourselves and the Algerian liberation experience is almost untenable. I mean, yeah, though there may be small tactical lessons to be gleaned from their urban effort. It must be kept in mind that the principal battles that led to the people's victory were fought on the countryside between massive French mechanized divisions and a classical guerrilla army for the people. The battle for Algiers was only aided by the forces within. The people's fifth column within the city of Algiers was not a model of perfection simply because the principal effort, energy, and motive forces were located in the classical guerrilla units that engaged the French expeditionary forces for control of the countryside. At issue there in Algeria were such things as crude petroleum, 62% of the nation's exports, agricultural products, 18%, and some iron ore. 
All these basic raw materials were, of course, located in the countryside and had to be protected by the French. The war for the control of the USA is unique in that its heartbeat can be stopped only by placing our primary forces in the valleys and defiles of its city streets. USA is the colonial master, the center of the imperial process where the raw materials are worked into finished manufactured products to be recirculated back into the exterior and interior colonies. Yeah, we are in the metropole. We are not out in the colonies, even if this is a settler colonial project. Which, again, is something that we've talked about time and time again. Um, This is going to look, and and George is is expounding on that, this is going to look different than it's looked anywhere else. Um, There is, other than Russia, if -hmm. you can call it that, because it was such a fundamentally different experience and 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 government and and compared to like the rest of europe even the the rest of europe let alone america in the 21st century Mm. there has never been a successful revolution within the metropole of an imperialist country like this we are trying to do something entirely unique and it's going to take unique tactics yeah, that doesn't mean we should have anything short of an immense amount of revolutionary hope, right? Nothing happens until it happens. Oh, for sure. I'm not right. saying don't, we, I'm we, not saying don't do it. I'm just saying don't look at. We wouldn't be revolutionaries if the revolution had already happened. Exactly. I mean, come on now. I'm just saying you can't. And George has said it himself. I'm not. I'm not you saying anything he's way. not saying. Don't look at Uruguay and don't look at at Bolivia necessarily. Don't look at at, at countries. Algeria is a great example. Again, one, but only if if for all no other reason than 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 our reading of Fanon. Um, don't look at these countries and try and say, okay, here's our road. We have to do exact. No, we're gonna have to improvise. We're gonna have to come up with new tactics on the fly. And we're gonna have to come up with different strategies altogether. That that may mean. Completely different. Strategy. That may mean this the revolution in this country may look completely different than it's looked anywhere else, and that may, well, we, that, that is out we, of necessity because we are unlike anywhere else that has experienced a revolution. So, if we want to make this happen, if we want to manifest this and make it real, and bring this into the world the way that that we all know it needs to happen, we're going to have to think creatively. We're going to have to uh, uh, not be rigid and dogmatic. In trying to look at, well, what worked for Vietnam? Well, if it worked for Vietnam, it will work here. Well, well, no, of course it's not going to. We're completely separate countries with completely separate material conditions. We're materialists above all else. We have to take our material conditions into account. Yeah, to, to expand on Algeria, right? We, when we read Wretched of the Earth, he was talking about there was the, the faux leaders of revolution that were supposedly socialist in the cities, and that it was the people that were hard-pressed, true revolutionaries that generally understood things and saw the forces of the state when they would escape imprisonment, that he described them as basically you know, going out to the countryside to the people humbly and then being cloaked by the people because now, you know, they understand they can be these leaders, they can do this thing, whereas if they stayed in the city and arrogantly, like, looked down like those are not working class people, you know, they they could not go out there and, and be part of it, right? Here um, in the United States, you can't copy-paste an exact allegory, but something more comparable to that is the countryside is more of the colonized classes, right? The the black and indigenous and trans um, people of the country. You know, so these arrogant, you know, white working-class socialist organizations will have true revolutionaries in there, and when they see the failing of, like, you know, the DSA getting the right Democrats elected or, or whatever, right, and they get to their true radicalizations, 
Well, then the other people that are, you know, that see the brunt of colonization more than anyone and have the true revolutionaries there will see their radicalization and, and will, you know, bring them together in the battle with them, right? Exactly. All right, guys, three paragraphs and we're going to be done. We're getting 10 pages in regardless this week because we didn't do a current event. So how the <laughs> hell are we not going to get to 10 pages at least? I abused power. You abused your power, David. (laughs) In a comparison of the classical forms of wars of liberation fought in the outlying colonies and the one we must yet formulate, a vital question is immediately brought to our attention. Does it work in a totally different setting? God damn it! When am I going to learn to just shut the (laughs) up and let the goddamn authors do their job? Son of a bitch! A theoretical examination indicates that it does, in fact... Urban guerrillas' people's warfare may prove to be an even more effective tool than the classical type. The same advantages are present, the same possibilities, plus some that exist simply because the fight is taking place within the cities, the nerve centers of the nation. The enemy culture, the established government, exi- the established government exists first of all because of its ability to govern, to maintain th- enough order to ensure that a cycle of sorts exists between the various levels and elements of the society. Law and order is their objective. Ours is perfect disorder. Our aim is to stop the life cycle of the enemy culture, the the enemy culture, and replace it with our own revolutionary culture. This can be done only by creating perfect disorder within the cycle of the enemy culture's life process and leaving a power vacuum to be filled by our building revolutionary culture. When the fight takes place within the cities, the disorder will be clearly hastened. This will have an immediate effect on the consciousness of the bulk of the population and will strain the relationship between government and governed to the utmost. And that and is where we will leave it for this week. David, any closing thoughts? A, I was going to say that's a great place to leave it because that is something we've talked about. It, it really brings back the, the broad point of, of everything we've read today together right and it, it's something that that's much more detailed and much better at saying uh and, and much more educational you know for us as well as as the audience and saying something we said before you know the 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 empire is not just going to collapse on its own right like it can have all these contradictions it can have all those failings it can screw up but you can see like look at the covid how covid was handled right look at look at the 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 heat being turned off in texas and ted cruz going to cancun okay the difference between that and like mussolini hanging upside down in italy is because people were organized so when the spark hit there was a bomb to go off right that's their let them, i mean that is a ted cruz going to cancun in the middle of a in in the middle of a freezing event that is killing his own citizens is as clear a let them eat cake moment as there could be in history well and is it is it abbott is that the governor of texas greg abbott yes and then Ab- Greg Abbott gets to stay in power and then begin a crusade against trans people and somehow have the legitimacy to follow through on that after all of that happened. That was either last year or two years ago. Two years ago. Right? Two years ago. You know, after all of that happened and, and Abbott is, is you know, in the middle of the trial, basically proven he was the one that spun that up. Of course, you know, I mean, the corporation spun that up more than anything, but he was he was the real government person that allowed that to happen. And he's just sitting in power. Right. This is the thing. If you think, you know, things are just going to get so bad that people will naturally revolt and the empire will allow itself to. No, no. because the prestige is there. Yeah. It's got legitimacy. It's it's how things are. Right. It's if if 
if you want to stop the Republicans, you have to vote for the Democrats. If you, if you want the Democrats to stop the Republicans, well, you know, that's Texas doing its state stuff and he'll go through the trial and the legitimate thing. But, you know, there's always this bull, this procedural bullshit, the institutions. It's, it's the institutions and the two parties that have this legitimacy and the great democracy that has legitimacy and it's all crap, right? But as long as there's that prestige, it seems daunting. And whether you're too afraid to overthrow it because that's impossible, get realistic, or whether that's just not how things are done and these are the rules and this is how we got our great freedoms and you should appreciate our great freedoms. Whatever it is, there is some level of this idea of impossibility that stops stuff from happening. And the second it was let down for a specific thing, right, when it was let down specifically for cops, groups of people were de-arresting protesters, you know, ripping them right back out of cops' cars to freedom, right? We were burning down police precincts. People were not afraid. But that was funneled into such a narrow portion of the state, and then it died off. You know, we have to have that broadly. We have to kill the entire prestige. Exactly. And this episode has been brought to you by prestige and the concept of killing it. Uh, That being said, this is Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. There are a number of different ways you can reach out to us if you'd like to. Uh, The first of which is directly through email. Our email address is marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. Uh, uh, the next way you can reach out to us is on Elon Musk's personal messaging service, twitter.com. <laughs> uh, you can reach out to us there at so Mark's Madness Pod until we are inevitably banned. We lost so many followers once he took out, once he, they announced he was taking oh, over. He, I assume it's everyone canceling yeah. their accounts because fuck that shit. Uh, I don't. I don't blame people because the big concern is not really like censorship, but he doesn't believe in free speech and he'll be knocking off. He's people a on fucking billionaire. Jack Dorsey's a fucking multimillionaire. Yeah. Who well, gives he, also, a shit? he also doesn't personally do it, right? He's got algorithms and underlings that, that do all this all shit. And, and again, you know, aren't subservient not... to his image. The thing is, they all suck. They all okay? fucking suck. The, the concern people have is twofold. One, where would people go that would be any better if for people not leaving, for people who are leaving, is, you know, what's going to happen with personal information, right? And that and that's a legitimate concern. Legitimate, but so long legitimate as- tactic then. Don't put any personal information on fucking Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the concern is, is you know, the verification stuff he's exactly. talking about. It's on, already there. On, and, and, you know. and who knows what we're going to yeah. go through. No one knows what's going to happen yet. It's a fucking hell site. It can't get any fucking worse than it is no, now. No one, yeah, no one knows. No one knows. But just remember, it's a social media site. There's more to life out there. We've said since the beginning, we certainly hope. We certainly hope we're preaching to the choir on this specific point. Because please, God, what are you doing if you're listening to this podcast and not doing this? But you need to be out in your community. You need to be out organizing. You need to be out doing things. The real world around you is far more important than Twitter. It's not that Twitter is unimportant. You know, again, this podcast is not unimportant. We wouldn't be doing this at all if it if it was. You know, communication is is a huge thing. We wouldn't rip on propaganda if media and spreading ideas wasn't an enormous amount of control and amount of break. You know, way of breaking. Control. We wouldn't again, be doing our own that. propaganda if we didn't think it was yeah. important and effective. <laughs> We're trying to break the prestige here, right? But it's not everything. It's a tool. It's a very specific modern tool of communication that is not as personal as your everyday relationships with people and community around you. 
Speaking of your relationships and your everyday community around you, if you'd like to join a community because you hate Twitter and you want nothing to do with it, you are more than welcome to join our little community on the internet, which is the Mark's Madness Pod Discord. Uh, brief tangent. Discord is not an alternative to Twitter. Anyone who is suggesting no. it as such is it's- misguided at best. Um, Discord is a walled garden. It is a place you have to be invited to. It's not a place to discover new things necessarily. It is a place to go find like-minded people and be a part of it. It's more akin to the old the chat rooms or something of that mm-hmm. effect or use groups. Um, that being said, it is incredibly powerful in my own estimation because it has been one of the most radicalizing tools for me to be in a group of people that I can trust, that I know are comrades, that I know aren't going to, that are going to treat me with the kind of respect that I expect out of comrades and to be able to bounce ideas out, talk, expand my own theory and my own, my own thinking about the world has been incredibly valuable to me. So if that's something that you desire and that's something, and you would like a community like that, that's not the big scary open world of Twitter or whatever, Feel free to join our Discord server. It is a group of like-minded comrades um, that all either listen to this show or used to listen to Dumb and Awful and still thankfully hang around <laughs> for our bullshit uh, that, that, that is, is supportive, is incredibly helpful, um, are willing to point you towards resources, are willing to help, and we have our own book club um, that is going on. So again, while, while we're reading a work here, book club is always reading something else in book clubs. So you always have kind of multiple lines of theory going at one time. Um, and it's just a, it's a great place that I love to be a part of. Not a replacement for Twitter. Different things, different uses. But again, yeah, not, that's why we have all of them. Not a replacement for Twitter and online social groups and education and you know all of that stuff is is incredibly important. Again, that's why we do this stuff. Not a replacement for or nearly as important as in community organizing. That being said, I feel like that's a good transition to the disclaimer, David. Yes. Um, so disclaimer, of course, a long time ago, Nathan came to me and decided we should be reading Capital together uh, because you want to read theory or history in a group. You want to have discussions. You want to get different perspectives. You want to make sure you're you know, reviewing it in the group so that you soak the information in. You want to make sure that you're understanding it properly in context and that you have the full context and the different perspectives. And, you know, after we decided, well, our group of two is kind of small, so we'll record our episode and see what the hell happens. We decided that, yeah, we'll go forward with the podcast. And ever since then, uh, the vision we've had is hopefully uh, with you. You're out there organizing in these groups, in these parties, doing the on the ground work for the people in the community around you and radicalizing the people around you. And hopefully that group, that organization, that party has some kind of reading group, has some kind of political education group as it should. And hopefully it's reading these books along with us and we can be another source of input, another perspective, another source of context on that so that you can get the most out of the book. Let's say what's probably far more likely to happen is they're going to be reading something shorter or something more applicable to a specific project they're on, and you're probably reading these books on your own. And in that case, hopefully we can be that reading group. We can give you that context. We can give you that background. We can give you that chance to review over the work and all of those benefits from the reading group. And let's say neither of those are happening, and it's either a book like this, where it's more word for word, and we're kind of an enhanced ebook, uh, or it's a book that we summarize more and we kind of get to be like an enhanced you know, theory cliff notes thing. Uh, Whatever it is we can do to make these works more accessible to you, because we want these works out there guiding your actions and out there driving you into these parties and organizations and guiding the action of these parties and organizations. Because when this theory is driven into action and revolutionary action, that's a 
that's a phenomenon called praxis. Praxis, of course, by definition, cannot exist without theory, and theory is completely useless without praxis. They go hand in hand, they are tied at the hip. Amen. As always, that being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. My name is Nathan. My name's David. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.